Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. We are approaching slowly the end of a long year um, in which the the ills of um, a broken world have worn us and our neighbors thin uh, on top of a lot of the um, day-to-day troubles that we that we would face in any year. Um, so it's it's my prayer for us that as we spend this morning uh, sitting in the hope that we have in Jesus, we would really be refreshed and renewed by um, this this time of reflection. So obviously being worn down uh, or suffering because of the circumstances of the world is not something that is unique to us. Um, it's not something that's unique to our time or this year. Um, it's something that we we sing about actually every every Christmas. We capture the condition of God's people without Jesus um, in the lyrics of uh, a lot of our Christmas carols. And I'm thinking particularly of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, where the lyrics say, Ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. It really, it really... Um, reflects the mournful spirit, um, the the struggling spirit of God's people as they sit um, in, in waiting for, uh, for the Son of God that was promised to come. <clears throat> um, back during our OT talk series, um, I talked a little bit about that promise for the Son of God, the messianic promise, um, the origin of it. God had told King David uh, that he would give him an heir whose reign would be forever. And uh, from whom God's love would never depart. Um, And that promise, we think, uh, since it was given during King David's reign, would have come uh, somewhere around the year 1000 BC, um, which would be roughly a thousand years before uh, Jesus's birth, which we're preparing this morning to celebrate. Um, And I've got I've got a slide up here. This is showing us um, which which powers were control uh, in control of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, over time. And you'll see the year zero is right about in the middle there, um, reflecting close to the birth of Jesus. So you can see from from this graph, blue represents Hebrew or Jewish, uh, which at that time would have been God's people. And if you look at the graph showing who is in control of of Jerusalem, and, and usually that means most of Israel or all of Israel, there's not very much blue on there. Um, this this intervening millennium is really um, characterized by some some very dark times for God's people um, because they are facing um, conquest and rebellion and reconquest. You can see where the the blue line splits there. There's a civil war um, that turns the nation against itself. Um, when we consider what um, the books of Kings and Chronicles tell us about the, that that period of, of blue as well, the number of kings and leaders uh, who were over Israel who were told um, turned towards evil, uh, led the people in idol worship, uh, all all this manner of things. Um, we yeah we can see that this was not necessarily uh, the the happiest season uh, of all for for God's people during during that time between. King David's reign and um, the coming of Jesus. Those were the conditions under which God's people had to hope in his promises. Um, and they they kind of get at the very nature of hope, which is a really central idea um, in our faith. Today, we use hope, the word hope, a lot like we use love. It's kind of loose, uh, and we use it to capture a lot of different ideas. 
Um, but I, I think primarily, certainly I use it mostly to express desire. Um, you might hear people say, or you might say, I hope I do well on this exam. I hope this will work out. I hope those two get together. I hope the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, you know, um, wishful thinking in short. <laughs> uh, you can you can usually substitute out the word uh, hope with wish or want, uh, and you don't really change the idea or the intent uh, of the sentence. Um, your, your thought comes through unchanged. Um, and if that's how we view hope, um, then really there, there isn't much hope for, you know, a fifth century Jew who's living in diaspora in Babylon, um, if the best that you can offer them is, I hope that works out for you. The thing that differentiates biblical hope from, from that kind of hope, um, the, what differentiates the hope that God offers us is assurance. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, one of the books that I found that had uh, really a lot to teach us about hope was Hebrews. Um, and in chapter six of that book, the author says um, that he is confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. Um, and he says that we have the full assurance of your hope until the end. This is really strong language that gets kind of beyond um, the, the wishful thinking. It's actually approaching almost certainty. Um, so how can you be certain of something that you're only hoping for? Uh, he carries on in this same passage to say, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. So through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Um, and I, I think that's that's a really beautiful and, and profound picture of both God's people and, and the hope that we are chasing. We who have flee, are fled for refuge um, and the hope for those people is described as an anchor for the soul. I, I really like that uh, that image. Uh, this kind of hope, um, it, or this is the kind of hope, rather, that has weight for a people um, that is being afflicted. This is the kind of hope that gives us confidence uh, and surety in our hope. Our God is a God of promises, a God who makes oaths, who makes promises, and more importantly, he's a God who keeps his promises. Um, it's not that this hope is detached from the idea of desire. The appeal of these promises that we get from God is that they're things that we want. They're things that we desire will come to pass. Um, but thanks to the assurance that we have uh, from the one who made them, they're promises that we can believe in with that, that uh, approach towards certainty that, uh, that the author of Hebrews seems to have. Um, so now that I've introduced the idea of belief here, I want to just quickly sidebar to distinguish between um, hope and faith. And I'm going to try not to step on Jordan's toes too much here because he's going to be teaching us uh, about faith next week. Um, but I, I wanted to differentiate them quickly because if biblical hope is characterized by belief and confident belief, how is that different um, from faith? And there's no doubting that they're closely linked. Um, later on in Hebrews, the author actually kind of provides hope as as uh, definitive of faith um he says now faith is the reality of what is hoped for the proof or the conviction of what is not seen so that that hope is a central element uh, of faith um, the difference of faith 
uh, is that it's a blessing that is ours um, to partake of and to delight in right now, mm-hmm. while hope is a future-oriented idea. Um, we look to it in times of comfort, uh, or for comfort rather, for in times of despair uh, and distress, because it assures us that um, this isn't what eternity is going to be like. Um, the theologian uh, Wayne Grudem puts it very, um, I think, briefly and simply, uh, hope is a confident expectation of future blessings to be received from God. Um, so it's it's a little subtle, a little nuanced, but um, I think that they're the two elements that are really um, central to hope here is um, the blessing and the future-oriented nature. And those are the two reasons that um, I chose the Beatitudes for our, our scripture reading this morning as the, the kind of central scripture that I wanted to um, be talking about around. Um, it's a really beautiful passage. I think it's probably one that is pretty familiar for most of us. Um, and I think it really speaks to that that hope that Jesus fulfilled and that he offers because of these future-oriented blessings. Um if we can get that uh, that slide up, Mike. Um, they say, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, even though the governing authorities who are over them and over us uh, might be conquerors or idolaters. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Their pain is not something that is going to afflict them forever. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth, not because of their power uh, and willingness to exercise it, but because they're, they're willing to put themselves second or last. Um, they're willing to put others before themselves. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled uh, by God's provision for those who desire him. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, not mercy that they have earned, but mercy that will be provided um, in the future by God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, thanks to the cleansing work that um, Jesus is going to do in them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, recognized for the work that they have done on behalf of the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for again, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. These blessings collectively um, really paint a gospel picture of God's kingdom, Um, where the people who are the lowliest, uh, the most afflicted, uh, or the people who are struggling against the tide to love as Jesus loves, those are the people who are ultimately um, exalted. And these promises form a foundation um, of a hope that is so potent for for the people who believe in Jesus that he says, not just that they can endure insult and persecution and evil and hardship and suffering, um, but he actually says that these things are a sign of a blessing uh, and a cause for us to rejoice. Uh, And it it makes me think again, actually, of the lyrics to uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, where, again, we're called upon to rejoice, not because Jesus has arrived, but because Emmanuel shall come. It's that, that, uh, the hope alone is enough for us to to be given cause to rejoice. Um, and that's an important truth for God's people who um, at that the point of Jesus' coming had been hoping in that promise for a thousand years. Um, and I, I appreciate the Beatitudes because you can hear in them the way that um, that God speaks to his people and the way that God speaks to his people who are suffering or who are um 
oppressed. Uh, and I think that through the lens of the Beatitudes, you can almost hear how Jesus would speak to his people at, in these, these various seasons of, uh, of suffering um, throughout their history. You know, blessed are the conquered, for they will be set free. Blessed are those whose brothers and sisters make war against them, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those whose kings turn toward evil, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I think we can kind of similarly uh, read the Beatitudes onto some of the prophecies that foretell Jesus as well. Um, like there's a, there's a few traditional Advent passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 9 uh, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, a light that has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Um, we can hear that verse and, and we can think of it through the lens of the Beatitude as blessed are those who walk in darkness for they will see light. Isaiah 2.4 says, He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. In that we hear the blessing, Blessed are those who train for war, for they will be given peace. Isaiah 53 uh, verses 4 and 5, this is a really familiar and, and important um prophecy that that predicts what jesus does on the cross yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded him as stricken struck down by god and afflicted but he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities punishment for our peace was upon him in that we can hear um another important gospel blessing blessed are the condemned for their judgment will be taken on by another the root of these um, these blessings, these kind of reimagined beatitudes, um, is, is really the, the root of this hope um, that we have in Jesus, is the promise of redemption uh, for all the broken things of the world. Um, Jesus tells us through the beatitudes, through these blessings that he offers his people, um, that he sees the, the hurt and the brokenness, and that not only will we be able to endure them, but we can hope in the truth that they are going to be beautifully and gloriously reversed through the redemption that we have in him. Um, I think this plays out in, um, in earthly ways through the, the kind of the key figures of the Advent story. Um, we can consider Mary, a virgin, um, who put her reputation and her marriage on the line in order to deliver Jesus. Um, Jesus might say to her, blessed are the disgraced, or was the disgraced, for she would be honored. Joseph stood to um, chose to stand by Mary, um, despite doubt and uncertainty and scrutiny. Um, Jesus might have said to him, "Blessed was he who loved the detested, for the Son of God was his to love." Um, we have Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin, um, thought to be infertile for years until she bore son of the, uh, John the Baptist as her son. Jesus might have said to her, "Blessed is the barren, for her offspring made the way for the Messiah." Um, we have the Magi present at Jesus' birth who spent their lives waiting to see a sign from God. Blessed were those who watched patiently, for they saw God incarnate. Um, the shepherds who attended Jesus at his birth, um, you know, low-status roughnecks working the night shift. Blessed were those without social standing, for they stood in the presence of the Lord of Lords. Um, we see in the, the nativity scene all these ways um, in which Jesus has taken the, the things that um, people might have been most hurt by, most self-conscious about, uh, or, or most burdened with, um, and redeemed them 
into things that uh, were were life changing, you know, high high points for their their lives, and and um, made them part of part of this story that we we look to each year and celebrate. All of this culminated uh, in the redemption that Jesus accomplished on the cross, um, a sacrifice that says to us, "Blessed are those who uh, are dead in sin, for they will receive life." Blessed are those with hearts of stone, for they will be given hearts of flesh. Blessed are those whose passions rule them, for they will be ruled by a king. Um, scripture offers us throughout its course so many uh, hopes, makes so many promises to us about um, the future that God has prepared for us, uh, something for us to hope in. And the reason that this is a future that we can be assured of and confident in is that Jesus has already completed the work of overcoming the sin of the world. Because no one is innocent of the sinful nature of our own humanity, there's no one who can't put their hope in Jesus. Um, and that that's really the, the truth of what we celebrate at Advent. The promises that Jesus has kept and the ones that we're eagerly uh, anticipating to come. Learning to lean on the hope that we have in Jesus is um, an important part of Christian life. It's a discipline for us in a way. The struggles uh, and the hardships that we face today are different than the ones that God's people faced in the past, um, but that doesn't mean that they're less real or that we feel them less. Um, you know, we, we just talked about how they waited a thousand years for the advent of the Messiah. Now we are, you know, approaching 2000 years waiting for his return. Um, and though we might think that a longer wait would make us um, more eager, you know, hope for him more fervently, um, I think it instead can foster apathy. It's hard to wait um, long stretches, you know, longer longer than any of our lifetimes, certainly, uh, for God's blessings uh, of the future, when the things that the world sees as blessings are readily available for us right now. We can reach out our hand and, and have them. Mm. Um, I have felt, uh, in particularly challenged this, this past year with, you know, lots of cultural tension that has built up, um, and come to a head watching the, the States, uh, navigate a very fraught election, which I think has also affected our country in a lot of ways, watching both of our countries, um, grapple with our, our racial legacies, um, I've very much been uh, aware and, and sensing the undercurrent of anger and distrust and enmity uh, and resentment that accompanies so much of the, the discourse uh, around these things this year. And I think that has all been amplified by um, the separation and the isolation that has accompanied the pandemic that we've been sitting in for, you know, nine months now going on, going on 10 with no end in sight. Um, in these circumstances, it's very easy for me to place my hope in distraction and escapism uh, instead of in Jesus, in, in willful, willful ignorance, um, to convince myself that there is no problem, at least not one that is affecting me. Um, it's a fundamentally selfish uh, mindset that encourages me to sinfully ignore uh, any issue that is not directly affecting me. Uh, and prevents me from partaking in the hope that Jesus offers. Because why would I need hope for the future, a better future, if everything right now is completely fine? It's like um, there's a blizzard raging outside the house, but 
I, you know, you can tape up these beautiful pictures of beach scenes and turn up the heat and say, you know, what blizzard? I'm on vacation. I'm at the beach. Life is good. There's, there's nothing here for me to worry about. It's a self-deception. When we choose to put our hope in Jesus, it means that we have to recognize those parts of the world, our lives and ourselves that are painful uh, or unsatisfying or, or we'd prefer to forget about. Not doing so means that we choose instead to believe that this is as good as life gets. A world where someone is always in mourning, uh, uncomforted, where the peacemakers uh, are never finished with their work, where the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, will never be satisfied and the humble have no inheritance. And and I want to make sure to, to say here, this isn't to say that, you know, we, we should turn our back on the world or, or give it up for lost. There's lots in scripture to tell us um, about our responsibilities to the world, about the things in God's creation and, and in our our fellow image bearers and other people that is to be loved and, and cherished and respected. Um, you know, this world is is God's creation. We're here to love it and to, to serve one another. Um, but because Advent is this season of longing and expectation and waiting and preparing, um, I'm, I'm kind of emphasizing um, this this feeling that we we have of hope you know we're we're in a season where we talk about the weary world rejoicing um at the the possibility of hope so that's why i'm hitting the the weary world part a little bit hard here but i don't want us to lose sight of all the all the things that um god has given us to to love and delight in and and to serve in this world um but as, as we do reflect on on that weary world um my prayer would be that our hearts don't become so numb to this life that we accept uh, that that there's a world where, you know, as I said, peacemakers are never finished. The humble have no inheritance. Um, people are, are mourning uncomforted. Instead, my prayer would be that these beatitudes, these blessings that um, Jesus has given us would be an encouraging reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus as we celebrate his coming. Um, and my prayer would also be that, you know, we, we would have their spirit, the spirit of those blessings carrying on and beatitudes that um, are, are kind of more direct for our lives. Blessed are the sick, for they will be made well. Blessed are the isolated, for they will have fellowship. Blessed are those who love the people they disagree with, for they will be called ambassadors for Jesus. Blessed are the tired, for they will be restored. Blessed are the numb, for they will have new life. I think that... Um, these are, these are things that reflect the, the hope that we have in Jesus and the, the future that Jesus is preparing for us. Um, and I believe in these things for God's people. I believe that our sickness and our isolation and disagreements, our weariness and numbness and the um, burdens that we can cast on Jesus, um, thanks to the hope we have in his coming. I believe uh, that about our poverty of spirit as well, our mourning, our pride, hunger, callousness, impurity, and right, unrighteousness. Uh, you know, all these things that um, that Jesus has identified in the Beatitudes. When we celebrate Advent, traditionally we light candles. I know we've got our, uh, our paper candles on display here. Um, and we do that as a reminder that after centuries of darkness, God gave us a light. Um, so in our times of personal or collective darkness, I hope that we will uh, look to that light to remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus.
Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thank you.